your views, your values. This is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Good morning to you. Yes, you, my dear friend, whom I only see in my dreams, but I know I will find in my heart every Monday because we share the same wavelength. WMNF Tampa, the only station that they stream in Yamatsu, Hirasaka, and you can stream us as well at WMNF.org. Well, spank my butt and call me Sally. Today is Ask Me Anything Monday. I always feel like we're spelunking in a gold mine on AMA Monday. The questions that your listeners ask are always a fist-sized nugget that make the Healthy Steps radio show sparkle. Okay, my companions, if you have any questions or any related health concerns, give us a call at 813-239-9663. Arena's sitting in the control room awaiting your call with bated breath. Again, that number is 813-239-9663. You can also send an email to dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Good morning to you, Dr. Harvey. Ask Me Anything Monday always seems to have legs of its own, so let me no. get out of the way and watch where this show goes. It's all yours, Dr. Fred. Take it away. Hello? Can you hear me? My mic is on, but I have no sound. I have no idea what's going on. I'm, I hear nothing and I am sitting here in silence and I don't know what's going on. I wish I could start the show, but I don't know what to do because I have nothing more to say other than I'll just start talking today. Sorry about that. Um, hey, this is Dr. Harvey. I'm unable to take calls at the moment. I will be just chatting about some things. Um, hopefully you'll send me some emails. Um, when we get some sound so I can interact, we'll do that. In the meantime, happy Monday. It is the Healthy Step Show here on WMNF Tampa. And uh, I thank Bill and everybody in the studio for doing what they're doing. And I thank all you Healthy Steppers for showing up on this lovely, cool Monday morning. Um, well, I just was reading again some interesting articles over the weekend and Thought maybe you might want to hear some strange and amazing information um, from Nature Medicine. Iatrogenic Alzheimer's disease in recipients of cadaveric pituitary-derived growth hormone. That's a big statement. So what they found out is that um, some, well, let's go back. Alzheimer's disease. It's a degenerative disease of the brain and um, it is uh, characterized by inflammation and there are some specific pathologic issues that are associated with it that we have been able to find uh, when we look at you know dissected slides of cadaver brains 
but also we do some um, testing of the um, tissues for specific kinds of markers. And there's some markers in Alzheimer's disease that are um, associated with protein degradation. Amyloid beta is a protein, tau is a protein, um, and um, these things result in destruction of brain tissue. The um, reported um, transmission of this pathology has occurred in some relatively young people who got um, something called Jakob Kreutzfeld disease or Kreutzfeld Jakob disease. It's a infection that causes deterioration of the brain. They got treated in childhood many, many years ago with cadaver derived pituitary hormone. That means that they, they took out the pituitary of humans who had died and used the uh, proteins from there to uh, create a medical intervention. And um, there's a, a protein called prion that um, shows up inside the human um, uh, or inside all mammalian proteins. And prion illness causes a change in the way the brain functions. And it uh, doesn't allow for a, a proper functioning of, of uh, tissues and causes the degradation of them. And so um, you can't treat it. It's not, the prions are not really infections, but they kind of act like one because they're transmitted by ingestion. And um, there is um, a local epidemic of this. Uh, it's uh, one, one specific human prion disease called Kuru. It occurs in Papua New, or it did used to occur in Papua New Guinea um, and was transmitted by the ingestion of human tissue at mortuary feasts. Um, so people would eat the brains of their dead um, as a celebration. Um, and uh, it, it didn't turn out very well, I guess, um, I, because I, a lot of them got... Oh, oh can you I hear just me heard, yeah, I just sent I hear you, you an email, and this is sort of a test to be sure that um, we're connected again. So, I can hear you. All right. Well, we're rolling in grease grooves now. Welcome, doctor. Thank you. Thank you. Have you been hearing anything I've been saying, or have we been uh, oh, just... Uh, you've been good all the way. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so uh, um, this uh, Kuru disease uh, acts a lot like uh, uh, Alzheimer's. People just get dementia. Their brains rot. And um, unfortunately, um, they found they don't use. Now, here's a good thing. They don't use um, the human-derived cadaveric um, human growth hormone anymore. This was, this was um, like 20 years ago. So 20 years hence, these people got the problem. And um, so they didn't even know that this was a potential problem when they were using it. They thought it was a good therapy. And, and so, um, you know, one thing that's wonderful about science is when we discover new things about what we're doing, we can actually change what we're doing. And so I think it's really a, a great thing that we were able to move into um, uh, the um, genetically uh, uh, um, created. Um, uh, they use... Uh, synthetic, just a very similar technique to creating the mRNA uh, uh, COVID shots and similar cancer shots. Um, in the laboratory, they're creating genetic sequences. And 
using those, they implant them into yeast or bacteria and have the bacteria actually generate human growth hormone. And so we have a fairly clean human growth hormone now without these prions because they're not derived from mammalian tissue. And so um, there are many causes, or I should say triggers, or precipitating factors, or antecedents and mediators of what would be Alzheimer's disease or other dementias. And what we really know is that it's an ongoing inflammatory process, inflammaging. The, the brain gets on fire and then it deteriorates and it ages and then it gets demented. And we can actually put the brakes on a lot of this stuff by actually avoiding doing things that cause inflammation. And, and so there are, there are lots of possibilities there. But one of the best things to do is to actually avoid taking in um, uh, uh, excessive amounts of mammalian proteins. It, we can get at any time that um, mammals have been exposed to mammal proteins. Uh, prions occur when poor animal hus husbandry, this is, this is a theory, this appears to be occurring. I, I can't say this for certain, but this is, appears when poor animal husbandry results in uh, uh, mammals getting fed mammal proteins other than milk in a, in a calf. Um, this shouldn't be really happening, but sometimes uh, bone meal um, from cows and other byproducts are actually included in the feed for the cows. This results in some problems. Um, cows are not cannibals, and so they probably shouldn't be fed their own material. They're, they're herbivores, and um, they should eat plants. So th there, there are some really interesting issues that come up in the way we actually raise the animals that can actually create these scenarios. Another problem is that we feed them um, uh, moldy grains, and the mold actually causes them to be inflamed, and then they pass the molecules of inflammation on to us. But I would like to actually pass some of this information back and forth. And I need to remind everybody that we are on WMNF Tampa. This is the Healthy Steps radio show. I'm Dr. Fred Harvey, and I welcome your calls and your emails. What do you have to say, Bill? Yeah, well, thank you for introducing the show again. I do think people are excited about the Healthy Steps radio show. Even on President's Day, they're tuning on in. So I'm going to give them the phone number to give us a call at 813 Two three nine nine six six three. Irene came on in, so give her a jingle, or continue sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. Back to you there, doctor. Why? Thank you. So um, to um, move on from Alzheimer's, um, because that's not really actually the principal cause of death. We still have. We're still. You know, we're still in heart uh, uh, National Heart Month. Heart disease is the world's biggest killer. Everything else falls in beside, behind heart disease. Heart attacks, strokes, and heart failure are the biggest ways people leave this planet. And there are many different iterations of that, but one of the most common and most important is simply coronary artery disease. That is the disease where your heart arteries get blocked with inflammatory changes. Inflammation happens, and then your body finds the inflammatory area and puts some cholesterol down to spackle it to prevent it from leaking. And if you don't fix the under underlying inflammation, you continue to lay down plaque. We have all kinds of great technology to evaluate this now. It used to be you had to go to a cath lab and get somebody to stick a catheter into your groin and up into your heart and squirt some dye, but 
they don't have to be quite so invasive all the time anymore. Um, most recently, I was speaking with a radiologist um, here in, um, uh, he was in Venice, and he's very excited about new technology that we're going to be using a lot more in my practice because they have some computer-aided diagnoses that goes along with what's called the uh, CTCA, the coronary CAT scan and calcium score. In that test, you can do a non-invasive, relatively non-invasive. You do have to get a little bit of dye injected. The dye helps you actually see the inside of the arteries, but it's a simple venous injection, and then you get a CAT scan. And the CAT scan freeze frames your heart and can actually look at the health of the arteries. With computer-aided diagnostics, we go to the next level. It's really amazing. The computer can actually delineate the nature of the plaque, and it can tell you how much, how, how, how blocking the plaque is so first, it's going to tell us whether you have old, calcified, dried up, not worrisome plaque, or whether you have fresh, soft, gooey plaque, the kind of plaque that ruptures into the middle of the artery and causes a clot and causes a heart attack or a stroke. That's the kind of stuff you don't want. And so it can tell us that without having to do a higher level test. Not even a cardiac cath can tell you whether you have soft versus hard plaque. Then the second thing it does, it tells you how much blockage there really is, whether there's actually problematic flow. This is the issue of whether you need further intervention. And then finally, it can actually look at your heart muscle and tell, it, tell us whether or not the muscle looks as if it is something called ischemic. Ischemia is blood flow and oxygen-deprived tissue. So it's tired and potentially injured tissue prior to the heart attack. So we can look at this with just a simple CAT scan, and that can give us an idea of what to do next because one thing we know for certain is that statins and chelation therapy both turn around the soft plaque. They make the soft plaque get calcified. So if you have a high calcium score, you may not be as, in as much jeopardy as somebody with a low calcium score and lots of soft plaque that's not calcified because the soft plaque is the dangerous one. This gets complicated, but it's really easily simplified. Soft plaque changes to hard, scarred, non-problematic plaque with the use of statins and with chelation therapy. And I want to remind you that um, on Monday, the 26th of February at 1 p.m., we're going to have a masterclass on chelation therapy and reversing heart disease without the usual approach, but also with added new approaches and some really simple stuff like dietary and lifestyle changes. I do use all the tools that are available. Many people think that statins are poison, but I can tell you that if you've had a heart attack, you want to be on a statin for at least a year after that heart attack because it's going to reduce your risk of a heart attack by something like 50% in that year. The cool thing is, though, that at five years out, after a year-long course of chelation therapy, you actually have 20 to 50% reduction, still going, having stopped the therapy you must continue to take the statins to continue to get the risk reduction. It's pretty amazing how well it rejuvenates the body and turns all of this around. And so I wanna just invite anybody who would like to stop by uh, drfredharvey.com and uh, enroll if you want to listen to more about this on a more detailed level. But um, it's much more detailed than we can put in just the radio show. And we're just seeing all kinds of really interesting stuff. Um, long COVID is getting further and further assessed. And the 
um, really amount of information we're getting about these things is just so um, um, amazing. So many different scientists are actually um, continuing to uh, research these these issues, and we are discovering that um, long COVID has such complexity and so many different things, but it's treatable in a lot of different ways. We can work on the immunity, the clotting, the inflammation, and, and possibly even ongoing production of the COVID spike protein. Um, sperm counts are falling around the world. And it could be from a lot of different things. And my thought is that it's actually toxicity. And toxicity is um, well, something we all have to deal with. The, the, we have polluted our um, bodies with a polluted planet. Uh, we can't avoid some of the hidden um, toxins. You know, right, in, right here on the west coast of Florida, we live in a mercury atmospheric red zone, according to the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, or OSHA. I'm not sure which provided the data, but because of the largest refinery on the planet named Houston and all of the platforms in the Gulf that burn off the vapors from the uh, petro that they've drilled into, um, that vapor that's being put into the atmosphere is full of mercury. And so we live in a mercury red zone here on the coast of Florida and all actually all of Florida is, and it goes up along the Southeast coast uh, because of the direction of um, flow of the uh, prevailing winds that take all of this mercury across our country. So um, actually I have an email here um, and this is interesting. It relates to toxicity. Is there an alternative to high fluoride toothpaste for cavities and dry mouth? Um, and so here's uh, an article that I, I uh, came across. Um, Fluoride-induced sperm damage. Yes, excessive fluoride can produce um, a damage to the spermatocytes, the cells that make sperm and decrease the sperm count, sperm motility, and increase deformity rate. So fluoride is not really as good as they talk about it. And in our county, Sarasota County, and I'm, I'm suspicious that it is actually similar throughout the west coast of Florida because we have the same aquifer. In, in Sarasota, we already have something like four parts per million. I can't tell you the exact concentration, but it's something like that of fluoride in our water occurring naturally because it perks through the um, old um, uh, coral reef that we sit on here. And that fluoride um, shows up in our water naturally. And so in Sarasota County, there's no added fluoride because there's no need to, I believe. Uh, that there, it's, it's, it, I think that most Municipalities try to get to like 1.8 parts per million to help with teeth, um, but the you know the benefit for teeth isn't really as as great as would be suggested when you consider the risk benefit ratio for using fluoride on a regular basis. Otherwise, um, and decreased sperm count is just one issue. I'm not going to go to details on that, but the alternative is just use um, um, well, actually, dry mouth. 
Uh, we'll talk about toothpaste a little bit. Dry mouth in toothpaste is caused by the detergent, sodium lauryl sulfate, and other detergents that are foaming agents in your toothpaste. Stop using foaming toothpaste if you want to get rid of dry mouth. You don't want to denude the surface of your mouth skin every day using some horrible detergent. Um, and then the alternative is uh, I use one from a Swiss company, W-E-L-E-D-A, um, and it is a salt toothpaste. It's salt and about 30 different essential oils and some baking soda, and it's very refreshing. And it, uh, you know, I've been using this toothpaste for the last 25 years, and I haven't had a single cavity. Um, I do not eat significant amounts of excess sugar. I floss every day. I brush once or twice a day, usually twice, um, and and I eat lots of vegetables, and I make sure I get a rainbow of colors. And I believe that keeping your microbiome in your mouth happy and eating a really diverse diet and making sure you get enough protein to support the structures in your mouth and enough calcium from your greens, magnesium from your greens, you get the right minerals and you're going to support your mouth. You, and then if you really do have dry mouth, you might want to try a dry mouth toothpaste like Biotene, B-I-O-T-E-N-E. And... Um, Hey, we're almost to the half hour, so I just want to remind everybody this still is WMNF Tampa. I look pretty ugly on my begging knees, but I'm going to get down there to invite you to call 813-239-9663 to participate in the Healthy Steps radio show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Let's put Irene to work. She came on in on a holiday, and she deserves to hear you. Or you can continue sending emails to us at dj at wmnf.org. Back to you there, doctor. Bye. Thank you, Bill. So, uh, yeah, there are alternatives to many of these things. Um, you know, we can go against medical advice or against dental advice if we actually have some evidence to back us up. Um, not everything that the expert tells us is something we need to follow through on. There often are options, but you know, when you go to see a surgeon, the surgeon has surgery on his mind. He may not really place the non-surgical approach first because he's a surgeon and he thinks surgically. And that's just the way it is. A cardiologist that likes to do cardiac cath is not necessarily the guy you wanna to go to to get your coronary calcium score ordered. I'm not making, uh, I'm not saying this is always the case, but generally, if somebody's going to have a way of diagnosing you, they're going to want to use that way of diagnosing you as opposed to sending you down the street so that they lose control of your care. And that's um, a little bit of um, a, a human ego reality that we need to address that, you know. People gonna they're gonna stay in their silo and 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 work on on specific things in this in the silo. But um, so the um, let's see we have a new message here. Um, thank you. I love your show. Very informative. I have a question. A friend of mine has trouble with platelet count being low. Um, and so the question is, what can she eat or do to raise it? That's there, there, that's a, a really illness-based approach to thinking. The functional medicine approach would be, let's first ask why 
is the platelet count low? And so then we can go deep into an understanding of what's going on. We can look at antecedents, like what kind of genetics is going on here that would predispose someone to have a low platelet count? And then what is going on with nutrition? How is that affecting it? Um, one of my uh, earliest clients when I was starting in integrative medicine before I actually, before functional medicine was a, a, a specialty, um, we were doing um, an integrative approach, um, trying um, nutritional changes, lifestyle changes, but we we're also using some high dose steroids to help the platelets recover. It was very taxing on her body. But finally, it was discovered that she was very sensitive to soy products. When she stopped eating soy products, her platelet count rose to normal and never dropped again, and she has never needed a treatment. The diagnosis was idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. Purpura is bruises you get from having low platelets. Thrombocytopenia is just the Latin for low platelets, but the Best word there is idiopathic. And, well, to be vulgar, the idiot doesn't know the pathology or we don't know what's going on here. So basically nobody ever found a cause for it. Well, we did actually. So she didn't have idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, truly. What she had was food sensitivity to soy products causing a platelet reaction. Basically what it did and the way we understand how low platelet thrombocytopenia occurs is that she triggered her spleen. The spleen is where blood gets filtered. It's where a lot of the immune cells rest waiting for that virus to show up so they can go attack. And what happened was the soy triggered the lymphocytes in the spleen to recognize the blood cells as being foreign. Quite possibly, some soy protein got stuck on the surface of the red blood cells and the spleen filtered them out and killed them because they thought it was, the spleen thought it was terrible. But in reality, there are so many different things that could be con contributing to a low platelet count that I think a uh, workup from a functional medicine doctor is worthwhile. So check out Functional Medicine Florida or the Institute for Functional Medicine.com and look for some more information because it is a much too broad question to say, oh, just stop eating soy, because soy may not be your friend's problem. Hi, Dr. Fred. I have just learned through my holistic nutrition course that soy products are recommended for estrogen-dominant breast cancer because it binds to receptor sites on cells that typically uptake estrogen. I have thought for decades that soy was taboo when battling breast cancer. I got to say, I love synchronicity. Um, would you shed some additional light on this subject, please? Yes. You know, there's a, a real lot of negative information on the internet regarding soy. And I was blessed to be at this lecture that Dr. Jeffrey Bland put together back in 2003. It was one of the meetings of the Institute for Functional Medicine, the annual international conference. We were in Vancouver, Canada. And... The Jeff loved to try and resolve controversy. So he had no problem putting opposing views onto his platform. And this year, we had a whole morning devoted to 
soy, not soy. And the first lecturer, I'll call her Dr. Jones, got up and gave us an hour of why we should not use soy. Boom, 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 all this information. Articles that she presented were just negative on soy. And then we had a guy, um, Dr. Smith, let's say, who gave us an hour pro-soy. And Dr. Smith actually was a bench researcher in in this. And um, um, he was a biochemist, not even a doctor, but he just looked at the, um, uh, the, the chemistry of it. And he, he went through all these reasons why soy would be of benefit. And one of those is true. Um, the, one of the chemicals in soy, genistein, is a, what, what in medical science we call a selective estrogen receptor modifier. There are a couple other medications out there that are this. One of them is um, tamoxifen. Tamoxifen is a medication used to prevent breast cancer or to prevent or to treat it after it's there to prevent recurrence. And yet, because of its strange selective estrogen receptor modification, it actually causes some problems. It causes osteoporosis because it blocks the bone from getting good estrogen signals. There's another one called raloxifene that actually blocks the cancer and blocks uterine cancer, but it actually helps promote bone health. Very similar um, uh, products. What we know about soy is that soy acts like this selective estrogen receptor modifiers, but it, it just blocks the signal of estrogen so you get less estrogen signal, but it doesn't cause a change in um, bone health for the negative or any kind of increase in, in risk. It actually decreases risk because it knocks the estrogen out of the receptor where estrogen would tell your breast cancer to grow more. So I recommend that if a person likes soy products, that they should have no problem using them. But you have to be concerned, though, that 99% or 97% of the soy in America is GMO and sprayed with Roundup and nasty stuff. So we don't want to use that. Look for organic soy, non-GMO soy. Um, even silk milk is a non-GMO organic soy that has not many additives. If you use the green box, no sugar added, it's actually basically like liquid soy. And there's nothing to be concerned about it. It could even be better if you ferment it. Fermented soy has some other properties. Uh, so uh, um, good tamari, non-gluten soy sauce, and um, tempeh, uh, a very good thing to help promote good health. Um, so um, soy is actually, in my perspective, a beneficial food. And we know that um, uh, people actually uh, lose um, or have lowered risks of breast cancer in countries that eat more soy. And uh, so Japan has a slightly lower breast cancer than here. Um, Jan asks, uh, what are my thoughts on uh, L-lysine and L-proline? Um, those are two amino acids that are um, uh, useful in creating collagen. And uh, many... Uh, uh, Functional or uh, naturopathic cardiologists recommend lysine proline. In fact, um, Linus Pauling, um, uh, one of the uh, fathers of, of vitamin-based medicine, uh, used uh, 
vitamin C, lysine, and proline to help support the body and uh, reduce cardiovascular risk. So I think uh, they're fine, uh, but you do get them when you have a good um, protein uh, forward diet. And um, let's see, Tom says, what causes a high level of selenium in a person's body? Um, I'm dealing with long COVID symptoms. Could it be that? Well, um, I have seen um, um, selenium uh, go up when people eat uh, more than one Brazil nut a day. One Brazil nut contains your daily dose of selenium. If you take um, natural uh, methionine, selenomethionine is a chelated methionine that has selenium in it. And there are other... um, um, well, many vitamins contain selenium. So you might want to look and see if you're getting it that way. But Brazil nuts is a really common source of it. I'm going to remind folks that they are listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. And we'd like you to participate and give us a call at 813-239-9663 or continue to send your emails to dj at wnf.org. Let's go back to some emails there, doctor. Very good, very good. Um, let's see. Here we have one. Um, I want to ask how I would treat a 67 year old man who just started having the DTs. Well, I think, uh, that person needs to be in an emergency department because that can be deadly. Um, DTs, the delirium tremens. This is a sign of alcohol withdrawal for someone who has been um, an alcoholic or using a lot of alcohol on a regular basis, stopping suddenly can result in a neurologic condition, a physiologic condition. And the DTs can be deadly. So this person needs to be in an acute detoxification facility because at 67, uh, the uh, catecholamine surge, this is a an adrenal issue, the blast of adrenaline that comes out because you're in this state is really uh, uh, taxing and could cause a heart attack. So anybody who's actually suffering from the DTs needs to go to an emergency room now so they can get therapy to prevent serious consequences. But that said, people who have made it through the DTs are in need of continued support because they have abused their systems to the point where the alcohol is now integral and they've they've got a, a physiologic condition that kind of requires alcohol to keep them from deteriorating in that way. But it's not something you want to continue because the alcohol itself causes worse damage over time. It's just that in this acute state, you need some help. Once you're out of that, vitamins are really important. Thiamine is well known to be depleted severely in alcoholics. But I wouldn't stop with just thiamine. I would take a very good quality B complex. Most alcoholics don't eat enough calories because they're spending too much time drinking. So it's a good idea to get some good protein in and some good liver support too. Um, I use a product in the office called OptiCleanse GHI. Um, GHI, gut, hepatic or gastrointestinal, hepatic and inflammatory. Um, Essentially, it supports healing the gut lining, which is completely trashed by doing too much alcohol. It supports the liver rebuilding. And it supports reduction in inflammation and excess alcohol toxicity causes inflammation throughout the whole body. 
Um, so starting with nutrition, uh, after abstention, these are good things. And medications may be required to treat the DTs. Um, things like Valium can help prevent the seizures that can occur there. Um, in the meantime, though, this is more of a, uh, a long-term recovery issue. And, and so best wishes and, and, and good luck on this long journey. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Al-Anon, and other organizations are out there for your help. And they are very skilled at helping. So I would definitely get in touch. Phil asks, are there any suggestions for laryngopharyngeal reflux? So basically, this is heartburn with a big Latin name. And um, many gastroenterologists and ear, nose, and throat doctors, otolaryngologists are diagnosing um, uh, this LP reflux. What it means is that when you're laying flat, the acid in your stomach sneaks on up into your chest through your esophagus and drizzles out into your throat. And then it causes acid burns to your larynx. It can cause hoarse voice. It can even sneak up into the nasopharynx and cause sinus symptoms, nasal congestion, excess mucus. So first things first, why do you have reflux? What foods are you eating that promote reflux? Are you eating or drinking alcohol? Alcohol is well known to cause reflux. Um, eating after the sun goes down is a more likely scenario where you could get reflux because you're going to be having food in your stomach with acid on your way to bed. It will be best to avoid that. Um, drinking fluids before bed, more than a sip to take a bedtime pill is probably too much because you don't want to go to bed with a cup full of water in there. It will likely slowly work its way back up. The um, foods that you might want to consider avoiding are high histamine foods. Histamine causes more uh, acid secretion and more um, motility in your gut. So you can basically fill the bag with acid and start pushing it in different directions. So histamine uh, foods include fermented foods like sauerkraut and aged cheeses like Roquefort Blue and aged cheddar. Um, Summer sausage, fermented meat products, uh, pepperoni, well-known, trigger. And um, uh, alcohol, I mentioned, um, coffee, anything that's going to increase your acid production. Um, so take, check out the uh, uh, anti-reflux diet and avoid some of those foods. The low histamine foods are better choices. Um and most of our foods are low histamine. It's a select group. Tomatoes, strawberries, also high. And avocados are high in histamine. They seem like they're uh, really uh, not going to do that, but they do have an issue. I'm going to jump on in here. I know we're down to about the last 15 minutes, so I'm going to put the squeeze on people because... They're not going to have a chance next week to really talk to you. We're going to be doing some fundraising then. So, folks, if you want to have some answers to your questions, give us a call at 813-239-9663. This is Ask Me Anything Monday. So, as it says, it's an open world for you. 813-239-9663. 813-239-9663. 
you can continue to send your emails to dj at wmnf.org. And as I said, only about 15 more minutes, so give us a jingle. Back to you there, Doctor. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to somebody today. There was one email that suggested the phones weren't getting answered, and probably the problem we were experiencing early on in the show. But uh, at least we have um, some good engagement from our uh, our listeners here. Um, here's someone asking, um, can I... Um, can I speak about how um, we can actually uh, get into a new program? Like um, functional medicine, I have found works better when people are in a program. By that, I mean that we have a set amount of times and a set amount of visits to accomplish a goal. Because sometimes when people come into this new paradigm of functional medicine, for a consultation, I have noticed that the way of thinking in functional medicine is so different from the traditional linear name it, blame it, tame it game of illness care, where we name an illness, blame the illness, and then come up with a prescription to treat the illness. In functional medicine, we understand that that's counterproductive to overall wellness because putting down an illness isn't the path to health making the body healthy is the path to health. And when you do that, illness tends to go away. And so um, I have a goal in program that is my client's goal. And that is to get from point A to point B, um, to get from brain fog to clarity, to get from pain to pain freedom, to get from fatigue to fantastic. But it takes time, it takes effort, and it takes the client to be interested in participating because this is a doctor-patient relationship and everybody has to buy in for this. And it takes a lot of personal work and commitment to actually make the health changes that last and create vibrant living. I think we do have callers. Boy, we just lit up the board with that last one. I've got uh, Helena, Len, Susan, and Mike, and maybe not enough time. So let's go to Helena right now. Good morning to you there, Helena. Hi, how are you? Wonderful, Helena. How are you? I'm good. So my question is, I've been on Lexapro for five years, and I tapered off of them. It took five weeks to taper off, but the withdrawal symptoms were horrendous. So because I was only off of them for two weeks, it was suggested to me to go back on a very low dosage to cut back on the withdrawal symptoms. So I did. Believe it or not, I started last night, five milligrams, and I actually feel a little bit better today. My question is, do I continue with five milligrams? And also, it was suggested that I take vitamin B complex and zinc, and I have no idea how much to take. Mm. So, um, the Helena, you're, you're really, you did something brave. You went cold turkey off of Lexapro. Um, SSRIs, that's the class of medications, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitions, uh, inhibitors. These medications are uh, difficult to come off because they have uh, trained your brain to a new type of metabolism. Um, And so 
almost everyone experiences really significant um, um, discomfort. And so I, I taper my clients off over the course of five to six weeks, um, stepping down, um, say from 20 milligrams by five milligrams a week or every two weeks so that they really have a gentle uh, withdrawal. Um, as I'm not your treating physician, I won't recommend whether you take or don't, don't take five milligrams. I think that's to work out with your doctor. And um, everyone can benefit from taking a good quality, um, um, fully um, activated B complex with methyl cobalamin and methyl folic acid. Um, those are really good. Magnesium is very calming for the system. But one thing that psychiatry and primary care don't understand and haven't actually bothered to consider is that the use of serotonin reuptake inhibition causes your serotonin to not be reuptaken. That means that instead of conserving a valuable resource called serotonin, you waste it. Basically, you degrade it and pee it out of your body. And so you lose this resource. And the people that I've seen on these medications for the longer period of time have no serotonin reserves, which is why you end up getting horrible symptoms by stopping it because your body's being flogged to make the serotonin release and stay there. And once you pull that away, the little drizzle of serotonin left is not sufficient. Tryptophan is an amino acid that supports production of serotonin. Tryptophan is one of the first things anybody should be taking if they're on an SSRI, even though if you look at it, it will say, oh, there might be a drug interaction here. Well, the drug interaction is that you're going to actually get better effect from the SSRI long term, but it also will help you get off the SSRI because you can make your own serotonin. Huh. How's that? Right. You know, I did did taper off for it took me five weeks. Oh. And once I was, I, I did. I went. I cut. I cut it down, and then I I followed the whole schedule where I was down. Um, than every other day to report. Well, that's good. So you, so you did do it the right way, but you just didn't have the support of tryptophan to help you make more serotonin while you were doing that. Yeah, but then the side effects of withdrawal were horrendous. So. Right, because you didn't have any serotonin. Right. <laughs> so that's why I'm back on five milligrams. Yeah, it's probably more likely you'll be able to get off of it if you do try to use uh, some tryptophan. You might want to read about that online and see what kind of uh, recommendations there are for use of tryptophan there. And how long now should I stay on five milligrams? As long as you and your doctor think you should. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. I will do that. Great. Have an excellent week. And you too. Thank you. Welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Yep. Yeah, that was great. I've got uh, Len here on the line. Good morning to you, Len. Morning. Good morning, Dr. Harvey. I'm Good morning. As much as I can about ovarian cysts since I have one and it's causing discomfort. What is the fluid inside and how, I mean, it's grown two millimeters in four months, so I feel like it's not disappearing and I need to take action. Uh, and then, you know, once they take it out, they say it can grow back. What is that fluid and how how am I making that grow? Um, so, actually, ovarian cysts are not really well described in the literature. Um, 
the fluid is probably serous fluid, which is the fluid of the matrix of your body, that yellow stuff that oozes out kind of after your wound clots and you have a little bit of a scab at that yellow um, fluid comes out. That's serous fluid. That's the matrix fluid of the body. And that's probably what you're experiencing inside the cyst. Um, and removing them doesn't necessarily change anything because you have other um, follicles that can turn into cysts. And so one thing we know that polycystic ovary disease is associated with um, insulin resistance. So avoiding added sugar might actually help the overall condition, but um, uh, also getting good hormone balancing and making sure your uh, cycle is um, doing better is is really uh, a couple of options there. But it's um, it's it's a it's an ongoing metabolic problem. So if they remove the cyst and the ovary. I'm not going to get another one in that ovary. Well, it, it just go into the other? It could. There's no guarantee either way. And so removing the ovary just removes an ovary. And um, if the cysts um, are big enough to cause problems, ruptured cysts can cause uh, some bleeding and pain. So it just depends on how big they are and how aggressive you want to get with it. Um, finding a functional medicine doctor and doing some metabolic work might actually calm the whole situation down. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great advice. Thank you so much for the information. You're so welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, I'm going to just jump ahead and bring on Susan. Good morning, Susan. Hi. Hi, Dr. Harvey. Good morning. How are you today? Oh, I've got aches and pains. I have a couple things to ask you, and I'll try to talk quickly. Um, okay. I've got very bad knee pain and back pain, and I am going to see a couple people. I hate x-rays and things, but I suppose I have to let them do it to see what's going on, do you think? It all depends. I tend to see a client, take a history, and do an exam before I decide if I'm going to order anything. Uh, my physical therapist, who I respect, but he's up north, I'm now down south, but I had a pinched meniscus. But I want to know if what I'm doing is hurting it more than than it should. And my back, when I turn sideways to get out of bed, it's excruciating. Um, hmm. I'm not a person who likes x-rays and all that, but I'm doing MSM, Inflafera, with all sorts of herbs, and uh, CoQ10, and, and all sorts of things. Is there anything I'm missing for protection from radiation? Well, actually, I think um, it sounds to me like you need a physical therapist down here since your physical therapist is up there and you're in pain. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm and, someone down here, too. Okay, good. And then, uh, you know, I, I think you're a, a very good candidate for some metabolic work. So um, maybe consider going on an anti-inflammatory diet, one that eliminates processed food, added sugar, grains, beans, and um, dairy and see how you improve. Because I'm a vegan with grains, beans, no dairy, no sugar. I eat grains, beans, vegetables, and nuts and seeds, and once in a while, yes. fish. I find many of my vegan clients struggling, and um, I watch them thrive once they actually add uh, animal protein back in. Humans are omnivores. I've never, uh, there's never been a vegan society on planet Earth that's that I know of. Um, there are some vegetarian ones, but they all tend to actually eat some eggs, fish, and pork. Oh, my God. You know, my boyfriend loves Thai food, but I'm so conscious of, like, the oils they use. I mean... Yes, I, I think eating out is dangerous, but um, you could do Thai food at home with your own oils. 
I could do that. You think eating out is not a good idea, except I heard Cafe Evergreen might be an option. Cafe Evergreen is a wonderful place, but again, anytime you're eating out, somebody else has control of the food that's going on the plate. <laughs> and we don't know what oils they cooked it in necessarily. And, and so... painful that my boyfriend eats whatever he wants, and I'm like overly conscious, but uh, I probably... So maybe, maybe relax on that overconsciousness. You think I should eat a little Thai food out? I think you ought to consider an anti-inflammatory diet and get rid of the grains, beans, and um, dairy. Uh, you don't do that anyway, so get rid of the grains and beans for a while and see how you do. You might need to add some lean protein in, like uh, some good grass-finished beef or something like that, or some nice uh, fish if you don't want to go to four-leggeds. Um, but it sounds to me like you could benefit from a change in diet. Grains and beans, wow, that's my staple, but I respect you. Yeah. Listen. The, um, yeah, pick up uh, Dr. Gundry's book, The Plant Paradox, and you might get shocked. I think I once read him. Um, yeah. You think once in a while I should go and have Thai food? I think that you should explore Dr. Gundry's book about the plant paradox and see how lectins are maybe killing your joints. Okay. I listened to what you said about toothpaste. Uh, my dentist, because I went because I could, uh, hot, I had a sensation. He did some x-rays. It was hot. It hurt. He said, go on Sensodyne and fluoride. Well, I can't do those. I know they're terrible. But they are terrible. I would avoid them. I learned about sodium lauryl sulfate, and I do have dry mouth. I also have lymphedema. Can I do that salt will lead to toothpaste, even though I have lymphedema? Yes, you can. And I must go. Have a wonderful week, Susan. We are down to the very end of the show here, and I need to take care of some business. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great week. Thank you. Um, and again, thank you, Bill, for producing a wonderful show. Uh, despite our little snafu, I think that was actually Frontier. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad things are going better. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, uh, uh, thank you, Irene, for fielding all the calls. You do a fabulous job, and I really appreciate all you healthy steppers out there. I will uh, be fundraising next week, so get to the tip jar ahead of time so we can finish this up in a really spectacular way. Um, remember, give us a call. Okay, thank you very much. We appreciate that, Dr. Harvey. And to all of our listeners, stay healthy. And to Irene, thank you very much. We appreciate it. You have been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming on up is five minutes of NPR news. And then strap in and get ready for the Sustainable Living Show hosted by the absolutely phenomenal team of Annie Ellis and Tanya Vidovic. Until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for listening and supporting the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.